Welcome back, everyone, and happy 2023. I'm Dr. Shiloh, and I'm with... Dr. Scott, slowly coming out of a carb-induced coma from the past four weeks. It's it's a hard one. It's it really is a hard one. one. <laughs> no, for sure. I'm, I'm ready for the fresh start, though. And any any resolutions this year? What are we doing? Oh, at work, you know, we got a bunch of people to commit to. We're not going to say we're not going to have a dry January. Okay. But we're going to have a no processed sugar January. Oh, so that's hard. Yeah, but like no desserts and no sweets. And, you know, working in a law enforcement environment, there's yeah. everybody's always bringing something in. So we'll see how long we, we can keep this up. Okay. Keep so your fingers crossed for us. It's like a commitment in the office not to bring yeah. that stuff. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's that's totally doable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think I have a resolution. I know you sent a meme to our group chat today saying it was okay to have resolutions that were meant for evil. <laughs> Of course. People do not let society weigh you down. If your resolutions are evil, then you do you. Perfectly I want acceptable. you to be your best self. Yes. <laughs> All be, right. If you're going to be a villain, be the best villain. There's our advice to you guys. That's it. There's, there there's the show. No, 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 no. We have a great show for you today, but we wanted to tell you that the big new Patreon reveal is here, goes into effect January one. So if you're a Patreon member already, you probably already know all about this, but we wanted to let you know that we now have multiple tiers because up until now, it's just been a one-stop shop, five bucks, and yep. everybody gets the same thing. But we wanted to reward our hardcore Patreons a little bit more and give you guys some options. So if you are a Patreon member already, at the $5 level, you stay there, you don't lose anything, you are still getting... And these are for new folks as well, ad-free and early episodes, access to the behind the couch live streams on the secret podcast feed, shout out to new members on our live streams, as well as Patreon only events like watch parties, holiday parties. And then you also get early access to in-person events like walking tours and any live shows that we do where we are in charge of tickets and attendance. So that's the $5 level which is called the associate level, I should say. Yeah. So associates, you can also like run and get us coffee when we need it, that sort of thing. <laughs> we should we should be so lucky. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so then our $8 level is our intern level. And if you're an intern, you get everything in the $5 tier. Plus we are gonna send you a sticker when you join. And then you also get access to our private Discord chat that is up and running. So I'm excited for folks to start joining that. That's going to be super cool and great idea, by the way. Thanks. Thanks. Well, we had great ideas from our folks that joined our holiday party because they said we could do yes. a documentary club on there and discuss documentaries. It's a one-stop shop for telling us your ideas for episodes and docs to review, but also we're just going to be able to chat with each other throughout the day, which is pretty fun. So if you are then so inclined to join Join the $10 doctoral level, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, we will send you an initial swag pack with all of the stickers and magnets and coasters and things that we have on hand, as well as a handwritten note from us. And then we are going to have a monthly merch or 
prize drawing. It might not be a piece of merch necessarily. It might be something that we pick up here in LA and send to you guys that's kind of significant to our city and where we live. Man, that's a mouthful, but that's all the new stuff for Patreon. Yeah, it's really exciting, especially at that top tier. I think you're going to be really excited to open the box and see the couple of collectibles that we have started mm -hmm. generating that are really cool along with all the other stuff. So again, keep those ideas coming. If you have other ideas that might be included in these different levels, we would love to hear those. Thank you so much. So let me give you an episode recap from our pre-holiday break. Episode 121 was our vintage case, Lover in the Attic. And it was the strange tale of Dolly Osterich and her lover that she kept in her attic for years. It was a cozy little affair arrangement until the day that he came out of hiding to commit murder. This was definitely a bizarre one that the media had a true field day with in 1920s Los Angeles. It's been covered beautifully by several other podcasts, which I also encourage you to listen to, but I think you'll like our take on it as we cover some of the psych underpinnings and motivations for the murder. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into today. Dr. Scott, let me ask you a question. What do you think of when I say the name Pinocchio? Bottomless mimosas in Palm Springs, right? That's <laughs> Pinocchio's in the desert. Famous restaurant, by the way. But um, now I know where your hat is at. You're still on vacation mode, right? <laughs> I am. And I'm very jealous you're going to Palm Springs this weekend. So yes, yes, Pinocchio is one of our favorite restaurants out there where you can get like very ridiculously priced bottomless mimosas. It's yeah, probably it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. But poor little sweet Pinocchio, beloved Disney character is synonymous with lying because he has a built-in tell when he lies. And can you imagine if we all ran around with something like that? <laughs> Well, there are some experts that would say that we do, right? And that'll be something that we touch on. There's been a TV show built around it. Very, very true. I don't know if I would want to know if people were lying all the time, but yeah. No, I think you have a really good point. And we'll get into this more because you did some fantastic research. I found some really great anecdotal stuff from discussion boards on Quora mm. that include a lot of therapists and psychologists. And, you know, over and over again, one of the things that said is that lying to a certain extent is part of our survival mechanism sure. and it's part of what keeps the wheels of society rolling but those are small lies yeah. and that's not what we're talking about today today we're talking about pathological and compulsive lying which is very much a huge intersection in that Venn diagram with criminogenic thinking and criminal acts. Absolutely. So absolutely. We, you may have heard us use the term pathological lying when we've talked about traits of some psychological diagnoses in the past episodes, primarily a lot of the cluster B personality stuff. It's a possible symptom of borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, and of course, the non-DSM diagnosable phenomenon of psychopathy. It's absolutely one of the factors that you look at is pathological lying. And we've probably talked about it most when discussing various types of offenders like con people and how they lie so convincingly to get what they want. And it's lie upon lie upon lie because they have to keep these games going. But I think the bottom line that we're talking about here is this just maliciousness and wickedness, if you will, or are we talking about a mental illness here? I love that point. And I would add to it that I don't think I know anybody that doesn't have a story about a huge liar in their life at some point. 
Absolutely. Like there's everybody has a story where they go, oh, yeah. And then there was this point where the lights came on for me and I realized, wow, so and so is absolutely full of shit. Yeah. You know, everybody's got a story like that. I, I think so. I mean, the one that comes to my mind is definitely a girl I went to high school with. We actually were in school probably from the third grade on up to high school. But I remember this distinct moment. We were probably 16, 17 years old where she was just telling these crazy lies, like I'm being recruited to be the next Victoria's Secret model. And I'm a champion snowboarder, like just stuff that was so outlandish that we would all just look at each other and then she'd walk away and we'd be like, what, what the fuck was that about? It was really, really bizarre. And I think that was my first thought of pathological lying. Like what's her motivation well, here? And this is just crazy. Like it's not even believable. Well, that's a really good example because those are so outlandish and there doesn't seem to be just in, in what you've told me right now, what we're not hearing is her doubling down, making sure that you agree with her lie, mm -hmm. which almost tells me that's more of a pathology coming from something else. Yeah. Like that's like mania or maybe even some delusional thinking. Like she may actually believe those things. Yeah. And if she actually believes them, is she really lying? But the idea that she didn't feel like she had to like nail it in for you. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Do you I... know whatever happened to her? Did you ever follow her or I... see her at a reunion or anything? have not. I think I saw her from afar at like a shopping center because I live back in my hometown. And I think I have seen her in adulthood, but it was hard to sort of recognize. But yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't really know what was going on there either. It could have just been like, I just feel like shocking some people for a little while. And then no one really called her out on it and it fizzled away. Who knows? So. so you didn't try and hit her up with, you know, for a discount on panties? <laughs> no, on I did not. I did not. <laughs> I should have hit her up to ask you her told me. if yeah. I could interview her for this episode. No. I'm going to share my story later because okay. I have a what the hell story <laughs> okay. that I still like struggle with today. Like, because there's no resolution to it, but there's so many other things I want to get to. Yes. So I really don't have strong trigger warnings for today. You know, we're talking right. about some nefarious behavior here, but... I think I want to start with a question for you. Are you a liar? Pants on fire. I think as a kid, I was. I was, I mean, I'm Southern and Southern people are generally storytellers and that is valued culturally. You know, and I grew up in a family of big storytellers, like half of our family were like, really good at crafting big tales and always trying to outdo each other. And so I wouldn't call myself a liar, but I mean, I've pushed an embellishment to the edge of credibility at the times mm. in, in my past. And I think that with years of my own personal work, you know, my own personal growth and my own therapies, you start to realize like some of your habitual childhood behaviors, there was a reason that you engaged in them. Yeah. This, you have a better understanding for it. Yeah, I'm sure. Can you share like what some of the things would be that you would lie about or what situations? Of course, this is a very safe <laughs> space, Dr. Shiloh. It's just, it's just you and another 10,000 people <laughs> that I love and adore. So of course I'm going to share it. The main thing that I remember was being in elementary and middle school and lying about things that I had supposedly done or supposedly seen. I mean, I came from a family that we didn't always have a working television mm -hmm. and there weren't a lot of extras in the budget for entertainment. So I would always be telling a tale about, oh yeah, I saw that TV show or I saw that movie or even sometimes, you know, at the beginning of the school years, like, oh yeah, we took a vacation when mm. you know, we didn't take a vacation at all. Yeah. 
And, you know, I think that this is a great segue into differentiation for our topic because people lie for different reasons. You know, run of the mill lying does sometimes provide some benefits like it can help people get out of unwanted or unpleasant situations. It can help them avoid social embarrassment. But thankfully, these examples are not typically thought of as mental health conditions. And, yeah. you know, it was like coming from I think for me, it was coming from a very insecure place as a kid. And that's what I view it from now. Yeah, I I think I was a bit of a liar as a kid. I mean, part of that's normal, though, right? <laughs> I think so. I Mine was always to not get in trouble for something I knew I shouldn't be doing. But my mother made it very clear that lying was her all-time pet peeve. Like, do not lie to me. And... I think that scared the crap out of me where I would do bad things, but then I was also scared of the consequence. So I'm like, which do oh, I choose? Look, I love your mom, but <laughs> you know, she's former law enforcement herself and yeah. she is an elegant and tough cookie. And I can't even imagine trying to lie she's to them. But, but look, you know, toddlers do it. I like, know, I know. you know, my goddaughters, like yeah. I remember kind of looking at their exhausted dads, like rolling their eyes, like, oh my God, he's lying about going on the spaceship and talking to, you know, the carrot people at the top of the cabinet because they're testing limits, <laughs> sure, right? I mean, sure. that's part of individuation and differentiation as a child. It's it's developmental. Yeah, I don't know. I just always didn't want to get what was coming to me when I was right. bad. I remember there's there's many times, but with my sister that's closest in age to me, I remember my mom coming home and we had been left alone and we weren't allowed to eat dessert. And immediately when she walks in the door, she's like, did you guys have cookies? And I'm just straight face like, nope. And my sister just looks and then breaks down and says, yes. And I didn't know we had Oreo cookie crumbs all over our face. Oh, my gosh. I, was just, I love it. I was going to stick to it. Don't know how it happened. I don't know. No, nope. Not going to cave. these nope. cookies on my face. Anyway, 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 before we get too far into our childhood stuff, generally, most of us are moving in and about cultures where we trust most people, right? We've talked about this before. Right. There's this innate trust and we, you have to think about like how awful would it be to constantly assume that people are lying or that you have to have, you know, be on edge to catch someone in a lie. That would just be hypervigilance that we don't need in our lives all the time. Yeah. So clearly there are some professionals whose jobs taint their worldview with their cynicism about truthfulness, like the type of work you and I do, those that are in criminal justice, those that are in law, those that even are in, you know, mental health. But, you know, the assumption that most people are honest most of the time aligns with reality. And we know that because the research tells us that. Levine referred to this expectation of truthfulness as the truth default. This keeps us out of a hypervigilant state for operating in everyday life. Right. There's also some people that like really pride themselves on being radically honest. And, mm. you know, radically honest means that you're not taking into account where another person's place is. Yeah. You know, that can be that can be harmful to interpersonal relationships. But yeah. yeah. So, I mean, look, non-pathological lying is a part of normal human behavior. Lying is a common feature of interpersonal interactions among humans and even occurs in some other animals, including definitely primates. Love one of my favorite videos of all time is watching this orangutan lie to his handler about getting food already. Like you see him hiding an orange behind his back so he can pretend I didn't get an orange. Yeah, it's hilarious. Where's my orange? Yeah. 
But we generally understand if someone tells little white lies here and there that it's just part of societal niceties and sometimes even to benefit others. Or maybe we like to tell ourselves that. Yeah. I mean, it's I think it's a, a spectrum and there's a lot of gray area. But let's get into the lying that is not under the paradigm of normal lying. Yes. So let's get into some early terms here. So the term pseudomania was briefly used for a period of time, and that was coined by American psychologist G. Stanley Hall in 1890. And Hall use the term when discussing pathological lying exhibited by children, which was his area of expertise. So Hall stated, quote, pseudomania supervenes where lies for others and even self-deception is an appetite indulged directly against every motive of prudence and interest. This is all very 1890 language. Sorry for that. Very much. I love it, though. <laughs> Those who have failed in many legitimate endeavors learn that they can make themselves of much account in the world by adroit lying. These cases demand the most prompt and drastic treatment. So I could just imagine the treatment these kiddos yeah, were getting. What's... Oh, God. Yeah. Yikes. But the term pseudomania kind of dies out rather quickly because then we get another term. Right. So prior to the use of the term pathological lying, the set of behaviors was originally called pseudologia fantastica, which was a term originated by the psychiatrist or the alienist, Dr. Anton Delbruck in 1891. And this term was used to describe people who told so many outrageous tales that the behavior was considered to be caused by a mental health condition. Now, this is important as a diagnostic criteria over the span of development of psychology as a field of study and science in that it describes a set of behaviors that actually do cause problems for the individual in regards to how they function in society. So we're getting into some criminogenic behavior because it's disrupting yes. society, basically. So it's it's like when you were explaining paraphilias. It's like it's mm -hmm. not a problem until it's, you know, your, your kink is your kink unless it's causing harm to someone else or harm to yourself. Yes. This is sort of a parallel to that, yes. I think. And then, of course, the classic historical case affiliated with pathological lying takes us back to good old Baron von Munchausen from the 1700s, whose name has become proverbial as the narrator of false and just ridiculously exaggerated exploits of his. The term Munchausen syndrome was coined in 1951 by Richard Asher. And for more on that, please feel free to check out our two-parter on factitious disorder. Those are episode 69 and episode 70. There's enough information there for you to write a paper if you're in a grad yeah. program. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> but in a nutshell, factitious disorder, this other term is a serious mental disorder in which someone deceives others by appearing sick or by purposely getting sick or by self-injury. And factitious disorder can also happen when family members or caregivers falsely present others, such as children, as being ill, injured, or impaired. And although this is specific to feigning illnesses, there are several lies that the individual has to tell to make this house of cards stand sometimes, again, crossing over into criminal territory. Right. So now the term pathological lying is further refined to describe when an individual lies so frequently that it impedes their functioning and in work, interpersonal, social, legal, or financial engagements. So pathological liars may actually experience distress because of their lies, as well as have a real fear of someone discovering their lies. But that isn't exclusive, as there are personality disorders that exhibit this particular behavior that absolutely do not experience any level of stress at all. Yes. So before we jump into some of those disorders, I wanted to note that one of our main sources today is a book called Pathological Lying, Theory, Research, and Practice. It's 
very recent, 2019, 2020. And the authors of that book offer this proposed definition of pathological lying. And I started writing an entire paragraph of how they went through and gathered all of the definitions that were already out there and then started coding those. But I figured that was very boring. So here's what <laughs> they came up with. Sorry, I know I literally had the whole Good thing written out. One. And I was like, eh, I'm going to edit this out. So their proposed definition is this, quote, a persistent, pervasive, and often compulsive pattern of excessive lying behavior leading to clinically significant impairment of functioning in social, occupational, or other areas, causing marked distress and posing a risk to the self, others, and occurring for longer than a six-month period, end quote. That's totally like a DSM. I mean, they're, they're, that's very clear psych speak. <laughs> you know, they've really boiled it down. Yes. So pathological lies represent a trait rather than an impulse. And that's really important to know too, because a trait is the way that we describe characteristics that are consistently accurate in describing a person's behavior. In other words, it's really what you come to expect from that particular person's regular ongoing behaviors. Right. So when an individual acts spontaneously without giving a lot of thought to the consequences of their actions, in an example like this, we describe them as impulsive. Both impulsivity and lying can definitely be related. If a chronic liar has enough insight to sit and think about their behavior, some may believe that they can't control their lying behavior. This is most often when lying occurs long-term and starts to pose a risk to the person and to those around them, because you can imagine how this would impact their relationships. And then like an Venn diagram interlocking as it is, the more extreme examples of pathological lying are signs of mental health conditions, particularly personality disorders. Yeah, we're really going to be coming back to the personality disorders over and over again, but they can include, I mean, the number one on the list in all the research is narcissistic personality disorder. And we're all familiar, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because you've been listening to us with this broad and exaggerated sense of self-importance that narcissists feel. It's, it's integral to the presentation of NPD. So it's not surprising that it can emerge in a compulsive liar's expansive, but likely somewhat believable lies about their achievements. And they'll lie about achievements in the domain of personal accomplishments, social connections, financial gains, career, their sex life. I mean, narcissistic personality disorder is not surprising at all. No, definitely at the top of the list. It's something I would completely expect, but I was a little bit more surprised at almost the 180 degree opposite in obsessive compulsive disorder, where lying has been documented and discussed in the diagnosis of some who struggle with OCD. And in this domain, pathological lying is used as a negative coping mechanism. So the individual diagnosed with OCD is lying to create and maintain their relationships with others, as well as to cover their OCD symptoms. So there's a total motivation here, whether we can dig a little deeper and say, is that embarrassment or shame for you know engaging in these behaviors and not wanting other people to know about it and that's where the lying comes in. I don't know. That's that's where my mind went. Any thoughts on motivations? Well, not so much the motivations, but I'm glad you brought that up. And I wanted to make sure we differentiate for listeners that we're not talking about OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Well, now you've just we talked about. Them. Well, I mean, we're, <laughs> it's two very different things, although sometimes it can look very much alike. Mm -hmm. But obsessive compulsive disorder very much has this enormous anxiety yep. element to it. And the anxiety is so much that they just have to protect themselves. And it's a it's a really negative coping skill, like you said, and that may be 
using lies to protect themselves. So moving on to that, several other anxiety disorders are definitely have an overlay with lying. A person struggling with anxiety and fear of rejection may also develop some compulsive lying habits as a way to try and really protect their sensitive psyche. Like they've got to build up this false persona or they've got to have a number of excuses as to why they can't do the things that cause them anxiety. But when we get into really the hardcore ones, we're talking about antisocial personality disorder. People living with this personality disorder really quite often display pathological lying as a key symptom. And usually that's in the pursuit of manipulating others and presenting a higher status than they actually have. Now, there's also borderline. Individuals with borderline personality disorder can be motivated towards spontaneous lying, but their motivation is different because what they're doing is they're trying to mold themselves to what they feel is required to preserve relationships, which can include chronic lying to like fulfill this misperceived need or situation. Like I've got to be the perfect man or the perfect woman in order to be the partner that this person wants. Right. And you can't sustain that. And that's what causes instability in the relationship is it's just not, you can't live with that lie long-term. Yeah. Interestingly, Dr. Tim Levine that I was speaking about before, he wrote a book called Duped, Truth Default Theory and the Social Science of Lying and Deception. And he argues that pathological liars aren't delusional and are grounded in reality, yet habitually and chronically lie for no apparent reason. So he's even saying there's sort of this subsection of people that are doing it for no reason other than to just lie. And he says that they choose to lie when the truth would have resulted in really no consequence. So that does not apply to me, who was terrified of the consequences. Right. <laughs> However, he's saying that they also lie without regard for the negative outcome that the lying is going to cause for themselves or other people. So, I mean, I think this is interesting. I read it. I think it feels like antisocial flavors or traits here, yeah. Yeah. but it doesn't have the manipulation piece necessarily, but it's just without due regard for others. Can I jump in yeah. and tell my story now? Sure. So I think, well, I know I've told you this and the past, but this is something that I still like struggle with because of how much it impacted me. And this was years ago when I was living off Hollywood Boulevard. I had transitioned from a performance career into working at a big talent agency. I was at an agency called William Morris Agency, and I went directly to a desk job. It was a huge paradigm shift for me from, you know, like this sort of transient performer audition move all the time right to a desk job and working in a corporate world. And my roommate moved out, moved in with his boyfriend and I had to find a roommate really quick. And I had found somebody that was looking that I've been chatting with on this very early text relay system called Delos. It's not even doesn't even exist anymore. So I thought this guy was really cool because he was really funny. Like this was somebody with like absolutely laser quick comebacks. Mm -hmm. He was super, super funny. He was really intelligent. And he worked as a surgical tool salesman because he'd gotten like halfway through med school and decided that the sales was better suited to him and he didn't want to finish med school. At least that's what he told uh -huh. me. Okay. So his name was Dr. Dunch. <laughs> oh, God. I, I would have lucked out on that one. So he moved in and this was back in the day where there was dial up. Like you had to have yeah. either a separate line for your computer access or you would be 
using your phone line. I mean, people, I mean, think, I think younger generations just have Isn't no concept crazy? of it. Oh now. my gosh. Yeah. So I was paying my bills and he was, I realized that he was lying about everything. Like he wasn't really working, you know, he was paying the bills on time, but it was always like, Hey, I need the rent check. I need, mm. I mean, it was always just like pulling teeth to get that taken care of. And I remember, you know, I had two phone bills from the company Pack Bell at the time, and I was paying my phone bill. And then I had the fax line, which was our computer line. Hadn't gotten a bill, hadn't gotten a bill, hadn't gotten a bill. So I called Pack Bell from work and I said, Hey, I haven't gotten the, the bill for my fax line. And the woman goes, okay, well, hold on, honey, who have you been sending faxes to? Jeez. And I said, I don't, what do you mean? I have it. It's our computer line. We use it to access. And she goes, you've got a $7,000 phone bill. <gasps> What? I was like, no, 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 that's not possible. No, that's not that's not possible at all. So luckily, my boss was out of town that day. So I could spend like the next few hours trying to figure out what was going oh on. Gosh. And this was back in the time when there were like hookup lines, like 976 and 999 lines where yep. you would connect. So long story short, the guy was a complete con man and he was conning people all over the country using these phone lines. And he was conning me and I came home and I mean, I was shaking with rage because money was so short for me. I was living on nothing. And he gave some kind of lame excuse of like, oh, I'm going to pay this back. And I was like, I don't, you're, you're out of here. Yeah. When I come from work tomorrow, you're going to be gone. You will be gone. Keys under the door. Never want to see your ass again. And he kind of like laughed it off. And then I'm like, I'm not kidding at all. And this was probably the top of my buff period. Like I was, yeah, I was you big and I was solid. But I mean, I don't get into physical fights, but I was just, I couldn't believe somebody had betrayed me like this. And anyway, after he left, you know, and I, I had to pay the bill myself and it was, it was awful. It took me years to pay it off. I had oh to take a loan gosh. from a friend and a friend who really kindly helped me out. But I went, I think maybe this was my intro to true crime because I eventually got copies of all those phone bills and I started calling. I knew he was from Oklahoma. Oh, you know what one of the lies was he told me is that his aunt had been killed in the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, But by this time, it was like I'd heard so many bullshit stories yeah. from him. I'm like, okay, sorry, that must yeah, be awful. Whatever. <laughs> But then isn't it weird because it's almost like a horror movie thing. Like, you know, something awful is happening, but you're like, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, I'll go in the attic. Yeah. And, you know, this was like a room. I didn't have time to think about it because I had worked 12 hours a day, this crazy schedule we were on. So I continued to call and I tracked down a bar in Florida and this bartender picked up. It was probably like six o'clock in the afternoon on a weekend or something. And I said, this is going to be the wildest story ever. But I live in L.A. and I had like a wacko roommate. And he goes, oh, you mean so and so? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, God, you got conned. He cons oh, everybody. Oh my gosh. He got he got run out of here years ago. He conned some guy out of his family fortune. You know, he spends money like crazy. He's nuts. Wow. And he gave me all this information. And then I called his parents and his mom broke down as like this elderly woman or probably middle-aged woman at the time broke down in Oklahoma. She's from Oklahoma. just broke down sobbing like this is not how we raised him. There's something mm. wrong with him. He's, he's been doing this for years. We've been getting these calls. We don't have any money. I'm like, well, I'm not asking you for the money. I'm just like, do you know that this is happening? Yeah. And I mean, I was, then I ended up being like sort of therapy person for her for 30 minutes. Jeez. But I continued to call and everybody I called was like, oh, so-and-so ripped you off. Yeah, he's a Oh he's my total gosh, criminal. I did not know all those details. But just lie after lie after lie. And to the point, I mean, about the most ridiculous things. Mm. Just about like, why would you lie about that? Yeah. You didn't buy zucchini 
there's no food in the refrigerator. Oh yeah, I filled the refrigerator with food. You go and you open the door, no food. I'm like what? what's wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. That's anyway. That's my story. It was like, and and he reached out to me like right before COVID. I got like some whacked out email, clearly that's under right. the influence of substances, and like you can't come after me now because statute of limitations. I'm like, you can't come after me now. If anybody like, lives in Oklahoma, city Oklahoma, and is listening, reach out to us because I'll tell you some more stories <laughs> oh about it. And you can you can do some reconnaissance for us. Well, I love that you were just like calling people and investigating and. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and it's it. I'm sure that was validating oh, to know you weren't the only one too. It it was, and you know what else happened is I went to the Hollywood Police Station, and oh oh no, oh, there are two things that happened. I completely forgot this. So I went to the Hollywood Police Station, and I walk in, and there's a woman working the front desk, and I said, "I've got the wackiest story ever." And there's no reason that you would believe me, but here's my passport. Here's my driver's license. Here's my social security card. Here's my birth certificate. This is who I am. Uh -huh. Here's the address I live at. This is what I've been through. And then I told her the story and she was so cool. She goes, well, I can't tell you any confidential information that it would be absolutely against the law. I need to go get a cup of coffee. So absolutely do not look at this computer screen. Oh. And then she walked away uh -huh. and she tilted the screen toward me and showed that he had had like hit and runs and like DUIs in another county. His rap sheet, then, basically. Then I did the same thing. I called the FBI oh. and I said, here's who I am. I can fax you copies of all my ID. And this guy was so nice. And he goes, hold on, let me close the door. So he goes and he closes the door and he goes, you're in with a con man. Yeah. Like I'm looking at his record all over Orange County. He's been kicked out of apartments. He's got this Whoa. and this and this. And they had like a whole dossier on him Whoa. because he was doing stuff across state lines mm. by the phone. So they were compiling something on him. Jeez, how did this, I mean, I wonder if he did any serious time ever. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I'm really good at finding people and, and finding dirt online. I oh, have several I online databases and he pops up every once in a while and disappears for a while. So maybe he's in and out of jail. That would be interesting. Yeah, probably. But here's some examples. Like I wanted to share that with you because clearly this guy is hitting all of those points that you were talking about. Lying for no reason. Yep. Lying for a reason or for secondary gain. Lying about big things. Yeah. Lying about big attention. things, about real things. Yeah. And, and also like clearly ripped me off and knew he he was going to rip me off. But I always thought like you knew you were going to get caught. Yeah. But just, you just lie your way out of it. I yeah, guess. Total psychopathic behavior, such a parasite and just like, yeah. okay, move on. Like it doesn't that's matter. A, that's exactly what it felt like. Thank you. It felt like a parasite. Yeah, of yeah. course he knew he'd get caught, but that didn't register with him. So it didn't matter. All right. Thank you for that. Let's dive into some of the research here. There's been a lot of money spent on trying to determine if someone's lying from the FBI, government agencies, you know, fighting terrorism, or just simply hiring new employees. I've taken several polygraphs in my day to lie detection for cheating spouses and all the different meet the fuckers polygraph situations you can yeah. think of. As a side note, I just want to let everyone know that in February, we're going to have Lisa Robicoff, polygraph examiner on our live stream. So... We'll save the polygraph talk for that in our questions Perfect. for her. But man, lie detection is a hot topic, especially in true crime. You know, you have your so-called experts in body language and linguistics that say they can detect deception. They're all given their two cents on whether or not someone is lying in any given taped police interview you see or hear on a podcast or something like that. We've all heard it a million times. And it's just a big 
industry, not yeah. just in true crime, but also, you know, lots of other industries invest in trying to figure out if people are lying or not. Yeah, of course, my sci-fi nerd comes out because the Dune series of novels is set hundreds of thousands of years in the future. And because they let computers get way too much power and AI, artificial intelligence, very prescient, by the way, He's, those were written in the 70s, but they outlaw computers. You shall not make a machine in the image of a man is kind of is Ooh, the rule. Interesting. So everybody has to develop these abilities. There are people who are human computers. Computers, and then there are truth sayers and the truth sayers, every government office has one, every local office, every rich family has a truth sayer that just is standing there. So when someone comes in to negotiate and they talk about it, like they're able to detect changes in physiology uh. and but it was like really cool the way it was described, but that doesn't really exist in the way the media wants us to think it makes for good television, mm -hmm. but. It doesn't really exist that way. So Aldert Vridge, author of Detecting Lies and Deceit, defines lying as a successful or unsuccessful deliberate attempt without forewarning to create in another a belief which the communicator considers to be untrue. Hart and Curtis note in their book that the majority of research on deception is focused on the normative aspects of lying, the prevalence and the frequency of lying within the general population, rather than exploring it forensically or from a mental health perspective. Hmm, yeah. we need more of that then. Yes. It needs more of a focus there. For sure. So Hart and Curtis are the ones that wrote the book that I said came out in 2019 or 2020, and they thought it was really important to explore lying more fully since people tend to think of pathological liars as cold calculated manipulators like we have this very distinct stereotype in our head and they assert that pathological lying is certainly not harmless as their definition and research indicates but they're confident that their research indicates that pathological lying does carry a heavy toll they say it quote carries a heavy toll damaging relationships causing dysfunction in many domains of life and ultimately leaving a wake of distress. And they certainly don't want people thinking that pathological liars are completely sinister beings. They assert that if you have that line of thinking, that maybe that's better understood by looking at the additional traits of psychopathy, where pe right. you know people are kind of taking pathological lying and then going, oh my God, it's this big, horrible psychopath. They're saying, no, 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 that's, that's not what's going on here. It's a pathological lying, yes, is a trait, of some mental health disorders, but don't stereotype and paint them all with a really broad brush based on right. just one behavior. Yeah, because I mean, especially when we talk, start using the word psychopathy, immediately everybody's going to jump towards like psychopathic killer, yeah, you know, but yeah. it's Hannibal Lecter. And, you know, over and over again, we tell people and the research shows that it's actually a very, very small percentage of psychopaths that are that intelligent that right. can, can sustain these false lives and false personas for so long. So I think that's interesting. I, I don't like what this person did to me. I don't think he's evil. I think he's just callous and doesn't care about people. It's like, he's not, he probably just doesn't have those, that wiring right. to give a crap. I don't think he's gonna kill anybody, but he's gonna be an opportunist, right? Sure. So here's the gist of their research. Hart and Curtis asked 251 adults about their beliefs about pathological lying, as well as whether they had ever interacted with someone that they believed to be a pathological, compulsive, or habitual liar. So the people that answered yes were then asked additional questions regarding the types of lies that the pathological liar in their lives told, how they knew the person was lying, and then what the consequences were for the liar and for themselves. So here's what came out of the research. They found that 91% of the respondents believed that they had had contact with a pathological liar 
totally believe that's that. Like, so high. Like I was saying earlier, yeah. it's so high. So get this, 100% of them indicated that the liar told primarily self-serving lies. Of course. <laughs> right. It wasn't it's for the because, greater good or anything like no, that. No, it's not for the greater good. That's what I do. My lies are all for the greater good of humanity. Of course they are. I just need you to know that, right? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> the pathological liars that they knew told 10 or more lies a day. That sounds exhausting, by the way. Right? I don't even like to say a... 10 sentences to people a day. <laughs> Seriously, like think, I think 10 sentences per month is maybe what your husband hits every maybe. maybe. And, then, and that's perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> so and interestingly, that's in contrast to the average of two lies per day. So right. that's a further thing that came out of the research is that the pathological liars told 10 or more lies per day in, a, in contrast to sort of the average norm of little white lies yep. of two lies per day, right? Almost half of the lies told by the pathological liars seem to be told for no apparent reason. Wow. Like it's your so Victoria's Secret, like mine, you know, saying there's food in the refrigerator. No, there's not, you dumbass. What? Yeah, like there's no gain. It's so bizarre. So yeah. they also looked at contents of the lies and they found that most of the respondents reported that they knew the person was lying because the lies were so unbelievable. Yep. So it was really easy to spot for them. And then the most common negative consequences for the pathological liars were poor emotional and social outcomes, such as being ostracized or the lying negatively impact their relationships with other people. So not surprisingly, the pathological liars caused negative outcomes for the people that were being questioned in the study, right? They were impacted. So right. they said that primarily that caused emotional suffering as well as just kind of social difficulties, which is also what you were describing with your situation. Oh, it, it really it really freaked me out. Like I, I kind of built a whole story about who this person was and what he was capable of doing. And yeah. I mean, there's more. I mean, I should actually write about it. I just remembered another thing about how he actually had AOL hoodwinked. He was, what? he was, yeah, he was getting AOL for free and it was amazing. Anyway, let's get back to the researchers, Curtis and Hart. They also reviewed all the case studies of pathological liars that they could find going all the way back to 1895. And they found that two motivations for pathological lying rose to the top like cream. The first motivation, pretty obvious, material gain. They noted that the compulsive liars repeatedly deceived others to obtain money, objects, sex, whatever they desired. The second motivation was attention. Mm. They found that a large majority of pathological liars engaged in falsehoods about impressive accomplishments, high profile people that they knew personally, and unbelievable heroic feats. They lie to impress others. Therefore, they're lying for the feeling that it gives them to be adored mm. for their accomplishments. So going on, they also found that the attention wasn't always for something positive or impressive. It didn't need to be positive reinforcements like all press is good press, whether yep. it's good or bad, right? Pathological liars painted themselves as victims of extreme situations. Where does that sound familiar, right? So fictitious disorder, malingering, Munchausen, Hart and Curtis uncovered cases of people who lied about being tragic, cases of abuse, being abandoned, surviving life-threatening attacks, and being kidnapped. Or my aunt died in the Oklahoma City bombing. Ding. Yep. We can look at it through the lens that everyday lies and pathological lies can be understood in the context of the tripartite theory of dishonesty. So Think of the last lie that you told everyone, everyone hearing me right now, think of the last lie you told, and it probably fits this theory. So according to this theory, people lie when one, lying seems beneficial, two, the potential negative consequences of lying seems bearable, and three, 
you can morally justify your lie. It just depends on how the person doing the lying kind of bends this criteria to their situation and their perspective. So it's sort of how I like to differentiate when I talk about cognitive distortions. I usually I break it down in talking about, you know, the umbrella of cognitive distortions. There's core beliefs, which is the stuff you're sort of raised with that's ingrained in you. Maybe you grow up and realize those aren't your truths anymore. But then there's also thinking errors, which is very situation specific. So with thinking errors, as opposed to core beliefs, you have this this thinking pattern that's semi-conscious where you realize you've done a behavior that you're not comfortable with. It's causing you anxiety. So we our, our human nature wants to lower that anxiety. What we end up doing sometimes is telling a lie to bring that down. But that lie doesn't necessarily have to be a flat out lie. We make ourselves feel better by justifying the behavior, minimizing the behavior, lots of different little techniques we can do to where we go, oh, okay, that's the reason I did that. It's not so big of a deal. But that also includes that we could be telling what feels like a little white lie, but really is indicative of a a bigger problem and a more disordered way of thinking. Well, definitely it sounds like what you're describing could be related to a moral injury, like you know you've done something wrong and then mm. you're dealing with the guilt, knowing that you did something that really isn't aligned, isn't quite in align with your core value system. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. I love some of the things that I found on Quora from therapists who post there. Mike King is a licensed psychotherapist who's a prolific poster on Quora. And he writes, people lie without major consequences over little things every day. No one gets hurt. It's part of living. Pathological lying is always harmful to someone. And this is how it's defined. I like that. It's simple. It's so simple and to the point. So criminal cases involving chronic lying are kind of a match made in heaven. So there's no shortage of examples that we could cite, but I thought it would be better to refer to an article that our friend and fellow forensic psychologist, Dr. Joni Johnston wrote a few years ago in which she notes her own observations working with violent offenders. Yes, but before we get to that, in this same article, she also points out a number of seemingly bizarre tales told by high profile offenders. She doesn't go into it deeply, but no, it, it reminded me of some folks that we've talked about before. For instance, she mentions Andrew Cunanan, who we covered a long time ago when talking about American Crime Story, the season of the assassination of Gianni Versace, where Andrew was definitely a blend of a con man and then transformed sort of into this psychopathic serial murderer. But he was really prone to pathological lying well before he got violent. This was something that was documented in his teen years. And then, you know, as a young man, kind of figuring himself out in this con man role for many years. But Dr. Johnson also pointed out that professional gambler Mark Andrews, he was found guilty of beating his wife to death with a hammer. He had lied about being an ordained minister and being affiliated or employed by the CIA and doing some secret ops in Afghanistan, just some wild all over the place pathological lies. It was very, very interesting. We talked about incidents like that where certainly with the stolen valor, mm-hmm. you know, that dovetails with a pathological lying. At least with stolen valor, they're actually in the military, the majority of them. I mean, there are some that are so far gone that they completely make up these, you know, I'm a secret undercover FBI or I'm CIA or I'm special ops or something. So Dr. Johnson in her work with offenders said that she was struck by the number of men that had histories of pathological lying in childhood. And, you know, we 
may think of children and teens as engaging in lying, but she observed that this lying was known for a particular reason and often without remorse. So obviously this is her anecdotal experience at this point, but she offers an interesting future research question. Is this the first trait that we need to start looking at for violent offenders or for quote unquote professional criminals? Yeah. Very interesting. Because of all yeah. the traits, that would be the easiest to sort of test out and get away with as yeah. a younger person. Yeah. I remember there was a person when I was working for this entertainment company in post-production and we were working on the DVD box set for The Lion King. And this <laughs> guy was in a, we were in a bullpen, like, you know, sort of like a big group office uh -huh. where everybody had cubicles and workstations. And he would just lie about anything. You could say, oh yeah, I went to the mountains this weekend. Oh, I went to the beach and we went scuba diving. You know, he always like had to one-up. Oh, one-upper. You know? He had the to one-up you or he had to be, you know, in alignment that he had done something as well. So two of the women I worked with who were hilariously funny just started making shit up. <laughs> oh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I had toe surgery. I had to have surgery too. I mean, like just crazy wow. stuff. <laughs> well, I, mean, I very, had surgery very... on all of my toes. I had my feet removed. <laughs> These aren't even my feet. But we have some, we have a big liar in the media right now. Oh, do we ever talk about pants on fire? Yeah. This guy's burning up. Representative-elect George Santos. Oof. He has, in my opinion, truly sold his soul <laughs> down the river. He's been elected as a representative for a district in New York that includes Long Island suburbs and parts of Queens. We know very dear people out there. I hope they certainly oh, yeah. didn't vote. No, I'm just kidding. You guys were duped if you voted for him, I'm, I'm guessing. So the New York Times broke the story that Santos has either straight out lied or been very, very cagey about many things in his past and present, I guess. Some of those things include things that would directly impact a career like his college and work history. So initially he claimed he attended Baruch College and New York University and received degrees in finance and economics. But after being called out, Santos told the New York Post that, quote, I didn't graduate from any institution of higher learning. I'm embarrassed and sorry for having embellished my resume. We do stupid things in life. Wow. What? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Do we? And should we be an elected official if we're doing those sorts of stupid things called lies? Also, his website reported that he began working at Citigroup as an associate and quickly advanced to become an associate asset manager in the real asset division of the firm and that he was offered an exciting opportunity with Goldman Sachs. When that was found to be untrue, he changed the narrative saying, Oh, I liaisoned, whatever that means, <laughs> with those companies in the course of another position that I worked at with another employer. So definitely bending the truth. He also admitted that he has embellished his resume and biography, but in the same breath states, a lot of people overstate in their resumes or twist it a little bit. Yikes. I know. And then there's the issue with the murkiness of his religious background. I think this is particularly I telling. Know. Because this just shows no insight and no and a, a real lack of empathy for the impact of what you're saying. Thank you. That nails it. Like the empathy part where it's just this yeah. flip it like, oh, so what? I did this. So here's the deal. During his campaign, he touted that his grandparents survived the Holocaust as Ukrainian Jewish refugees who had changed their last name to survive. Again, we're noting sort of the stories of victimhood, right? In the yeah. family. However, a very savvy genealogist did a little investigating of her own and told media outlets that she found, quote, there's no sign of Jewish 
and or Ukrainian heritage and no indication of name changes along the way. So Santos then told the Post, I never claim to be Jewish, I'm Catholic. Because I learned my maternal family had a Jewish background, I said I was Jew-ish. I just can't wrap my mind around it. First of all- like, The doubling down. I this know. is like This is like that story of Casey Anthony going oh, to- God. Universal Studios. Universal Studios and just like, Boom. Keep yes. doubling down. Keep walking through the hallways. Keep making excuses. Keep lying your way. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I want to sign Jamie Rice's petition to uh, sue him over the ish part on, <laughs> on his quote. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Leave exactly. it for Jamie and murderish to say those sorts. Not this sort of thing, but <laughs> to use the ish. So there's more, but here's one I find absolutely disgusting. I think this is. I don't know. This is the topper for me. But Santos claimed that four of his employees died in the 2016 Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. That wasn't true either. And he now changed his statement to say they were four prospective employees and then didn't give any names or details. So another weird thing on top of that is that he was recently married to a woman, quickly divorced her and then married his husband. Yep. So very strange fluidity in, and I don't think that has to do with sexual fluidity. I think it has to do with an opportunistic, like yeah. this is what's going to, this is what's going to frame me as special. Meaning I'm, this like, is how I'm, I'm going to be a gay Republican elected right, sort of thing. With this incredible, impressive background that I've completely made up. And look, I got to tell you, you got to, you got to know you screwed up big time. When somebody like a guest host of Tulsi Gabbard calls you out on your crap on national television, because she's a bit of a mess herself and she's a firebrand. And, and, but I was like, I mean, I'm trying to see what her motivation is, but it was like, I don't know what your motivation is, but it is for the greater good to call somebody. Sure. It doesn't make anybody on the political spectrum look good no. when they frame themselves this way. So that leads to the example that I wanted to say that was like going to be the the other side of it. Like and a the contrast. more I dove into it. Yeah. So Elizabeth Warren, mm. Elizabeth Warren, I am impressed by her. She's incredibly intelligent and you watch her stats and her speeches on economics. And it's really like, it's mind boggling how simple she can put things and, you know, in understandable sound bites, which is great. But there was a controversy with her several years ago. She asserted for years that she was of Native American heritage. And then there was this report that she had actually lied about it. Mm -hmm. And President-elect Donald Trump was calling her Pocahontas. You know, everybody just kind of jumped on her yeah. that she was faking it. And, you know, it is a big deal. Like Native Americans, rightly so, should be protective of their heritage, Absolutely. given you know what they have been through at the hands of colonization in this country. So it's, if you don't have that, like that's kind of shitty to do that. Just don't, don't claim that. But then the DNA tests were released that showed she did in fact have native heritage approximately 10 generations back. So it was a lot further back mm. than she said, than she had asserted. This was different from her previous assertions. So this example is probably not the right one, but I thought it was really interesting mm -hmm. in how in the realm of politics, like just these kind of half truths or assumptions can be tossed around and get mixed up with outright lies. And, yeah. you know, we, we would hope that our elected representatives would do a better job, but apparently sometimes they don't. Well, and then, you know, if someone completely lies about their background or even just lies a little bit about their background and then we elect them and then it turns out not to be true and they're like, no, some people fudge things. Like, what is the repercussion? No, yeah. like, is this just acceptable that you can like 
change your heritage or change your sexual orientation or change your religion to get elected? And then what? I mean, the thing that's frustrating here is that we want to assume that everybody is going to have this higher moral standing and, and ethical sense where they're going to present themselves in an authentic matter. But then we're kind of drawn into this like, well, this politician that I don't like told one lie. Yeah. And I want to be on them like. Yeah like fire. And then here's somebody that I do kind of like, and they told a lie. And then I want to be like a little bit more forgiving of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to challenge ourselves to look at the excess. Like, did somebody embellish a little bit of their career or one thing on their resume versus everything being generated out of whole cloth? Because that is what is indicative of pathology. Yes. Yes. I mean, can't they just go back to lying and never letting us know about it? <laughs> just kidding. I guess. I can't wait for all so, the political emails to come in. Ooh, we'll get a lot, I'm sure. How do you detect signs of pathological lying? Because hmm. pathological lying is also a tool that is used in the practice of gaslighting. Yes. So unless somebody is like really high up in sociopathy and they have the ability to keep all these virtual narrative plates spinning, most liars are going to have tells or behaviors that give them away. And these slip ups can help you identify when the liar isn't telling the truth. But you have to be aware that there's no definitive catch-all method to tell when someone isn't being authentic. But there are some things that give it away, particularly if you're in an intimate or work relationship. So one of the things that will happen is a lot of contradictory stories. Chronic and pathological liars are faced with a lot of challenges in keeping their story straight. And an individual who lies frequently is eventually going to lose track of these narratives that they've created. And inevitably, they're going to begin to contradict themselves. So if you're in a relationship where you notice that your significant other or family member is contradicting themselves, if it's likely that they're lying. And that's like consistently, chronically on an ongoing basis. Yes. And then there's also the tell of unverifiable details. So another indicator for you to look at is that many people who lie frequently add details to their lies to make them seem more realistic. And studies show that when people lie, they tend to include fewer verifiable details when lying than when telling the truth and insert unnecessary details that can't be verified. So let me pick that apart for you because it sounds very confusing. Yep. If someone is telling you a story with a lot of details that you know can't be proven or disproven, be a little bit more skeptical. And again, we're talking about pathological lying. So if you're just telling your average, everyday, normal human two lies a day lies, usually we keep it with very few details. Like... Let's just reel this in a little bit. But if you start hearing details that seem unnecessary and you cannot verify them and they know, like the person telling you knows you can't verify them, that's something to be skeptical about. There's also the overly dramatic or long stories. So basically I'm telling on myself because this is me, <laughs> the storyteller, always telling with lots of drama. It's really seen with a lot of pathological liars is that the lie is more likely to be dramatic and long than it is the truth. So like you're saying, embellishment with a lot of details. And the liar could be so desensitized to telling lies that their barometer for flair and for mm -hmm. like, you know, embellishment is way off so that they really go overboard. And if the story itself has anecdotes about overly dramatic or intense situations, that's another tell that they might be a compulsive liar. Yeah. I love this one because it really feels spot on. It reminds me of when my kid tells me about her dreams. You know, and you're just like, really? Did you really dream that? And then this happened and then this. And I'm like, you're so full of it, kid. <laughs> I can't believe you're saying that. I mean, I'm saying that as a non-parent, but it's not, I would love to hear that. Boring. Like, just let them lie, let them lie to me. <laughs> I'm like, is it over you're, yet? Can I leave now? <laughs> you're poor kid. It's the worst. Oh my gosh. Just kidding. All right. So I just, you know, 
thinking of media representations of compulsive liars, I Googled and of course there are like horrible B movies about compulsive liars <laughs> out there, but I automatically thought more of a line from a movie than necessarily the person really being a compulsive liar. But I think of the character Allison Reynolds, the basket case, if you will, played by Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club. She doesn't have a whole lot of lines in the movie, so it's not like she's sitting there constantly lying, but when they do start sort of opening up to each other and talking, she goes on this total rant about being a nymphomaniac and telling her therapist about it. And then her therapist has sex with her and they're all, all the other kids are just like horrified. Yeah. And then she ends up saying the famous line, well, I'm not a nymphomaniac. I'm a compulsive liar. <laughs> and they're all just like, fuck you. I can't believe you had us thinking that. <laughs> But yeah, well, I don't know if you could get away with that now. Like that's something like, like, I know totally. I mean, it was funny then now it's like, I'm, I'm not sure that would be used in a narrative. No, but I it know. was really good. It was so shocking. And she's such a good actress. Yeah. I mean, everybody was so good in that movie. Exactly. I think one of the famous ones that has really kind of spanned several forms of media is Catch Me If You Can, mm. which is the story of Frank Abagnale. He's a con man and forger, and he left a trail of debt and deception around the world. And in, in 1980, he co-wrote his autobiography entitled Catch Me If You Can. And it was a book that created this narrative around his crimes that framed them as victimless crimes because he was just what? ripping off the airlines and stealing from criminals, which I mean, at best is pretty minimizing because there are there is fallout from that. People got in trouble. There's a lot of fallout. But then again, we don't know how much is actually true because the book went on to inspire a 2002 movie version of the same name that was directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Amy Adams in one of her first big roles. She's oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's right. Abignale has written four other books, but there's an inception angle to this story because it's a lie within a lie that basically has taken on its own life. And we really, really encourage you all to go and listen to one of our favorite people's podcast, Mr. Javier Leva. He has a podcast called Pretend for the true full story. And he even confronts Frank Abagnale on tape. Not going to give anything I else know. away, but that's an example of a fascinating pathological liar uh -huh. that doesn't seem to be particularly malicious, but just an opportunist. So please go listen to it. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot more creepy stuff that I didn't know that he was involved in and Javier uncovers it all. He goes through yeah. all the timelines and it, you're right. It's very Inception-like because he's a pathological liar about being a pathological liar. Yeah. So it's all out there now. The series is wonderful as are all the other series that Javier does on Pretend. So for sure worth the listen. But yeah, not only the book, but the Broadway musical and everything. Oh, yeah. Like just this guy's making money like crazy. <laughs> And he's, you know, he's also framed in the story as a as a kid who had a really rough upbringing with a con man father and, yeah. you know, a mother that was seeking love and affection from other places. And he was sort of left on his own. I mean, it's yeah. a real victim story, you know, it which is. fits in with the, the point that we said earlier. Yeah, yeah. But I think that wraps it up. I think it does. First episode of the new year is done. We'll have a new vintage case for you next week. We already have that in the books and then more exciting stuff for you planned for the rest of the year. We'll just yeah. get to it when we get to it. Woohoo. Welcome to 2023. <laughs> and we will see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye, folks. Bye.
We sincerely thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network in partnership with Glassbox Media. Each episode is hosted, produced, and written by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our post-production editing and sweetening magic is handled by the multi-talented Jason Usri of Ear Cult Productions. The LA Not So Confidential theme entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir is composed and performed by the talented Kevin McLeod. He graciously allows us to use his music via a Creative Commons attribution license. And you can check out all of Kevin's amazing work on YouTube. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at la-not-so-confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Media inquiries and bookings are scheduled at alienistentertainment at gmail.com. Please join us each month on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streaming and very interactive broadcast on YouTube entitled Behind the Couch. Stay tuned to all of our social media for our live streaming scheduling announcements. Subscribe to LA Not So Confidential so you never miss a new episode. And lastly, we'd be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Not So Podcast. With a subscription, you get an ad-free listening experience, and you'll be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way. Thanks for listening and join in with us next time on LA Not So Confidential. Bye, folks. <laughs>